Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Human Element Karis podcast on modern marketing. As a reminder, this is our next uh, episode of our mini series entitled The Virus. Today, we're joined by Ryan Duffy, emerging tech writer for the emerging tech brew of morning brew fame. Uh, And he's here to talk to us a little bit as we have a discussion about the impact of COVID-19 on media, marketing, and frankly, customer and consumer behavior. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. So I know you're a returnee now. The t-shirts we didn't have on your first appearance, we still don't have for your second appearance. So we're still at a massive swag deficit. My apologies. That's okay. Uh, Third time's the charm. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So you recently, and I saw this over the weekend, as I am an avid follower of yours on Twitter, you posted a piece of work that you've been working on, I'm assuming for a little bit of time, which is really this report on the changing dynamics of consumer behavior and impacts to the web and to mobile and to, you know, in real life sort of offline implications. And and all of it summarized as a, and I quote, COVID traffic report which I thought was absolutely fantastic and really well put together. So I I shot you a Saturday email and you so graciously said yes. So thank you for doing that. Of course. Let's jump into this. Where did you get the idea to do this? You know, it's actually pretty funny. It happened very quickly over the course of a week, actually. I decided to officially go forward with it Monday and then started putting it together over the course of the week. And then by Friday, you know, we were trying to get the newsletter out and it was sort of a mad dash to get everything ready and get everyone sign off. But it came together and, you know, it was a weird time to release it in the middle of a Friday going into a weekend. Yeah. But we just figured that we wanted to get this information into people's hands as quickly as possible. And there is definitely less competition for people's time on the weekend these days, sure. unfortunately. So I would say what motivated me to do it I kind of have this compulsive hoarding habit, not not in real life. You know, I'm a follower of Marie Kondo, but it's more of a digital. This is a virtual hoarding habit. Yeah, it's, it's a exactly. So, so my Slack channels to myself and the Google Drive that I work in, and then you know my Microsoft Word are just peppered with mementos that, that I and, and links and screenshots, and it's kind of a mess. But I have this this mental system. It's more of an art than a science, I would say. But I, I always like to go back and sort of look at what I was thinking from a certain snapshot in time. So I had been seeing all of these siloed COVID, COVID-adjacent data reports yep. and decided that I would try to thread everything together into a semi-cohesive narrative and then add in some of the you know morning brew signature analysis and tone. So that that's sort of the backdrop of how things came together. And then we just moved really quickly. And I was fortunate to have a number of my coworkers look over and sort of give their comments so that we could have a you know finished product with everybody's approval. Well, I was super excited about it when I saw it. I think I saw it technically late Friday night, maybe, as I was having a a glass of wine or two with some friends from a long, long time ago. Not in person, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I think this is really good. Ooh, yeah, I like this a lot. And then it was like, all right, I got to have Ryan on. <laughs> well, let's do this. You've broken it up into the three categories, sort of web, mobile, and you know what you're calling IRL. How did you come up with that structure? 
I don't think that there was a whole ton of consideration into the exact delineation between those categories. Mm. If you read between the lines, you'll notice that there is some instances of bleeding over or maybe like mobile pattern in the, the web bucket. But I thought that those would be good conceptual categories because the way I see it, you know, one web is the meta patterns of people spending way more time online, you know, what the telecoms and internet service providers are noticing in terms of traffic trends and patterns. And then I thought that mobile should have its own, you know, broken out category just because it is this very important paradigm shift in technology that's been happening over the past decade plus. And then IRL, I thought that that was important to include, even though you probably noticed a lot of that isn't technology in any way. I thought it that data just spoke to the degree of behavioral change yep. that we've seen in March. So that was sort of my thinking. In my mind, it, it did two things. It framed the scale of change, but it also, it's almost like a counterbalance to the technology-based change, right? It's It's sort of the yin yang of, you know, none of this comes, you know, without a corresponding impact in real life. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that I do talk about the effects on Airbnb or Uber, which are these technology companies that are tied to offline behaviors. Absolutely. So let's kind of dive in off the top. What were the sort of one or two or three things that were the the biggest highlights for you, and then we'll get into some more detail. I think that the headline takeaway is that internet usage and time spent on these various services is way up, and social distancing is also way up. So, you know, time spent in the real world or just physically outside even is is way down, yep. and. We can get to this later, but I do mention that I think that a lot of the data is very dispiriting, but it indicates the magnitude of change and thus, you know, how seriously people have started to take this, you know, how much of a paradigm shift March was. So let's talk about that for a second. You brought it up. Dispiriting how? Because to some extent, it's a little encouraging in that people are doing what they've been told, right? This has been, you know, if not the federal mandate, the strong federal, federal recommendation, and in many, many states, the mandate. So that part is good from an adherence to what we think is the best way to battle the impact of the virus at the moment. For you, what was sort of the most dispiriting elements of it? I completely agree. I think that it's encouraging at a societal and public health level. But I say dispiriting from the specific point of view of a lot of these companies and even industries writ large, you know, so for example, open table bookings are down 100% year over year, class pass reservation volume almost, I think it was 90, but it's probably approaching 100% now. And then another interesting piece of data that I saw was this company, this private company, Spot Hero, which it's a platform for digital parking reservations. Yes. And so they have a lot of insight and visibility into what's going on on city streets around the U.S. And so their reservation volume is down almost 100% year over year now, too. So I, I say dispiriting just from the point of view of the specific industries, again, that are tied to that have this online, offline aspect. 
in the way you looked at it, were there any sort of clear emerging beneficiaries? I won't say winners because that's not really what this situation is, but emerging beneficiaries of the situation. And similarly, you know, maybe a few for whom there are warning signs or sort of coming caution. So I think that the beneficiaries, so to speak, are one that immediately jumps out to me is this gaming platform, Roblox, which is mm-hmm. very, very popular with U.S. kids. And they just, they hit a record in early March or maybe mid-March of 3 million concurrent players. And then two weeks later, they had 4 million. They're just smashing through these records. Yep. And I think that you see that more broadly for the gaming industry and also the mobile gaming industry. There was a record amount of downloads the third week of March. I believe, for mobile games. and 1.2 billion or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And I think that that's partially users who already are interested in mobile games and who are just, you know, branching out and downloading new apps. But it's also probably people who are are first-time users because there's 24 hours in the day, but there's just a lot less competing for our time these days. We saw a similar impact in some research we did out of our China office when they began going through the lockdown and quarantine periods. Again, massive influx of gaming in that time frame. How about anybody that you sort of see? I mean, there's been some clear impacts, you know, in airlines and travel agents, travel websites. Do you look at it and see an industry or two or a player or two where there's maybe more caution coming or, you know, more reason to be concerned on some of the impacts? The obvious one is that any of the companies that are in the report or industries that are tied to travel or just mobility in in general are generally going to be in trouble for a while. And there are some exceptions to that. I'm not sure it made it into the report, but I know that For example, in New York City, there are a lot more people using the bike sharing. I don't know if that's still happening, but just as an alternative to the subway. But by the same token, Bird and Lime are really struggling and Uber and Lyft are struggling. Let's talk a little bit about unemployment. That's obviously been, you know, the, the, the numbers on that are unprecedented here in the United States uh, in the last two claim cycles. We're looking at just shy of 10 million new claims in, I don't know, something like, what, 14 days or 16 days or something. And that's going to continue to grow. One of the interesting things that the report points out is that that impact is not just limited to lockdown states. What do you make of that observation? So that was really interesting. The online traffic to state unemployment websites where there was some sort of mandatory or strongly encouraged shelter in place or an explicit lockdown order, that spiked first, the second week of March. But then by the next week, the growth in traffic in states that still hadn't locked down yet was actually higher. And so yep. we found that it, that it completely caught up. And I thought that that was a really interesting source of alternative data that just indicated, you know, even if there weren't explicit lockdowns or shelter in places, that the ripple effects of the actions that we're taking right now, you know, to contain coronavirus's spread are spreading everywhere. And I can actually anecdotally speak to 
where I am right now, Texas. And obviously, you know, it's one of the, the U.S.'s biggest states and biggest economies. So I am not even sure what's going on at the state level, to be honest. I'm not sure if we're in lockdown. And I should know that. But I, I've been going by what the city of Dallas has done. The yep. city of Dallas and the other big cities in Texas have already instituted these shelter-in-place orders. So that affects all of the local businesses. And in Texas, for instance, you probably saw a spike in traffic to unemployment sites, unfortunately, right after the states that did it at a statewide level, yep. because there are all these local businesses that, yep. that are shutting down. Yep. I would imagine that the traffic now it, across the board is proportional regardless of what the status of the the state orders are. I, I think you're exactly right. I had read a piece, I think in Politico on Thursday or Friday of last week, which was specifically zeroed in on Florida. And, you know, apparently there had been a lot of work done at a significant cost, I don't know, 70 or $80 million on a system that the previous governor of Florida had put in place. And it was just being completely overwhelmed by the inbound demand. And frankly, some of the ways that it had been built from a usability perspective. You know, again, I think what we'll see out of this, again, potentially in some places, is the need for governments and their extensions, you know, in the web to really follow the same kinds of principles that have made the web such an enormous part of our lives in other areas. And user experience and usability and, you know, empathetic development are really going to, I think, come back around as things that governments have to to think about, even though governments are, you know, in a lot of ways, not the best customers <laughs> for this mm-hmm. kind of development. It's really going to have to change how some of that stuff gets done. Yeah. I, I think that you're seeing that on the infrastructure side, you know, a lot of the websites just crashed because they weren't able to handle the spikes in traffic. And then this is actually playing out right now, but from the uh, small business owner's perspective, it seems yeah. like to get a loan or to get financial assistance, from what I understand right now, it's some of them are navigating a pretty arcane and unfamiliar process. So I, I would definitely agree. So let's change gears a little bit. You know, one of the largest stories in your report from a meteoric rise, I think, you know, going from 10 or 12 or 15 million daily average users to 200 million users is Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so in that, there's this great success story. But there's also a cautionary tale in what has happened since then. Can you talk a little bit about Zoom's sort of stratospheric rise and then, you know, the issues they've faced here over the last week or so? Yeah, so let's walk through both. I think that the success story is they went from a max of 10 million users in December to over 200 million by last week. So. The fact that this company was able to do that and, and add capacity so quickly to accommodate, you know, is, that ama- many is more, amazing. My impression is that they've had relatively minor and very brief outages, outages on a regional yeah. basis, but you know, the infrastructure has held up very well. It's easy to overlook just how difficult it is to accept that kind of increase in scale, right? So if you mm-hmm. even just take the Disney Plus launch in November, right? They had months and months and months to think about it. This is an extremely thoughtful brand, an empathetic kind of human-centered brand. 
And when they went live on that first day, they had material and ongoing rolling outages as a result of this massive surge in demand. So did Quibi yesterday. For yeah, exactly. An hour. Exactly. So for a smaller organization like Zoom to be able to handle that is truly impressive. However. Right. So <laughs> the, the flip side is there has been a host of privacy and security and just more generally data protection issues that have cropped up over the span of 14 days, let's say. And one example is that marketing materials state that the calls are are end-to-end encrypted and that that's not really the case. I think another one I saw recently is that a lot of the calls are being routed through, through China. And yesterday, I wrote this in the newsletter, but I think the entire school district of New York City is is banning Zoom because they're worried about security. The one thing that I, I wanted to add to is I think what, what Zoom is, is they've been very responsive and they did issue, they announced that they're going to do a 90-day freeze for feature development. They're going to work on those, yep. those issues because they are numerous. I am hopeful that we'll be able to, you know, go back 90 days or 120 days from now and be able to sort of say, you know, the rise crisis and recovery of that particular business. But, you know, this is what can happen, right? When you somehow catch a rocket ship, it can very quickly turn into a different situation quite literally overnight, especially when you're having such tectonic shifts in behavior. So let's talk about streaming impacts a little bit, because one of the things that strikes me about your streaming section in the report, and this is something I had seen before, but to see it visually was interesting. As you might expect, Netflix up right? So there's growth in Netflix. But what you might not have thought about is that the aggregation of other OTT has now overtaken Netflix, and they've actually had a loss in in share position. And the aggregated growth rate of those other offerings is larger. Yeah. So I think that there are some some obvious trends in there that you'd expect. OTT, the streaming is yep. way up versus yep. linear TV, way more up. Yep. And in general, all of all the streaming services are are seeing more engagement. But to be honest, from that graph that you're you're talking about, I don't think that the rise in March was as much as I expected. Now there is a yep. bit of, of lag time between yep. when that data was reported and last week when I released my report. But the immense competition, you know, there, there have been so many new companies to enter the fray in the past few months. The streaming wars have been a very popular topic on Morning Brew and on our podcast, Business Casual. That trend is just due to there being, there's just more options out there. Yeah. And the, and I think you, you have a great point there. The marketplace is still so unsettled and dynamic mm-hmm. that there's a lot of variables. It's not simply the pandemic variable. It's it's new entries to the marketplace. It's people discovering those new entries. Mm-hmm. All those things are potential impacts along with, you know, let's be honest, while the, the absolute growth in linear television has not been anywhere near as big, it's still a growth in linear TV watching. Yeah, correct. Seven or 8% by my recollection. Yep. Yep. Correct. Let's talk about one other area before we jump ahead and that's podcasting you know, podcasting, experiencing a huge amount of growth over the past couple of years, an explosion in not simply networks, but content and genres and everything else. It's one of the reasons why this pod exists. 
you know, I would have told you, and in fact, I think if you go back to the original virus podcast I did with Dan at the very beginning of this, one of the things we predicted is there would be a continued growth in podcasting throughout this situation. And in fact, there's been a little more tough sledding for podcasting, largely driven by the removal of drive times. And I think it shows you how important those drive times are. Is that a, is that a fair analysis? I was definitely surprised to see that. But then once you unpack it, and I know for our specific podcast, we looked at the breakdown of yeah. how li- listening times shifted. And it's clear that the the commute, you know, that that aspect was removed. And yeah. there are obviously so many people that, that listen to their favorite podcast when they're driving to work or they're taking the subway. Yep. It's an obvious point. And yet here I am four weeks later making the point, even though I was wrong four weeks ago. So yeah, it's a very tough show when it comes to accountability. That's good. That's good. It's good that you followed up. But you know what else is also interesting is that the streaming of at least of the, the top 200 songs on yeah. Spotify was also down. And yes. I, I mean, I guess people are going to the gym less. Some people just listen to music when they're commuting. But I thought that was also interesting because I originally had in this slide, I had two theories for why both podcasts and music streaming is down. One, less commutes, but two, people are in the home and they might not have as much noise to drown out. But then one of my, my coworkers who is a, a very new parent said, that's not necessarily the case. And I sort of, I sort of showed my hand there that you know, not all people's homes might be as quiet as mine. No, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Again, obviously, I think shift in drive time and shift in being outside and, you know, gym time and all that kind of stuff, that, that clearly must be an impact. Music is a very social thing. And so, you know, I know in our particular case, and this is purely anecdotal, obviously, but not my kids, but a lot of our listening time as a couple is when we have folks over to have dinner, a glass of wine or a cocktail or yeah. chit chat or whatever. And so, you know, if you were to sort of graph where our music listening time comes, a lot of it comes from, you know, that Friday, that Saturday night or a Thursday night, what have you. And that's all kind of gone. And, and what we in this house have filled those, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights with is literally two and a half hour, three hour video conference calls with, you know, friends we haven't seen in 10 years or, you know, old friends from high school and college. And so there's been a swap for us in, yes, there's audio content there, but it's, you know, it's the live engagement kind of audio content, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, I think that there's there's a nice app or feature or just integration between apps that someone's probably developing right now that will enable sort of that more social yep. listening or, you know, music sharing. So you brought your crystal ball. I did this to Jason Scholweis earlier a, mm-hmm. a week ago. I said, he's brought his crystal ball. You've brought yours. The question is, is this the same morning brew crystal ball? Do you only have one and you pass it around or you each have one? It is the same crystal ball, but okay. the, the physical the physical crystal ball is still at the, the headquarters in New York. So we, we've had to develop a sort of virtual alternative that we can pass around. You have a VPN dial <laughs> crystal ball. Okay. Exactly. All right. Where do you anticipate as it relates to consumer behavior? Let's, you know, again, one of the things I do a disclosure here is we are not medical professionals. So I don't want to get into that side of, of really the, the human toll of this crisis, which again is devastating. But yeah. where do you anticipate will be in some of this behavioral stuff and the way that platforms and brands are sort of 
trying to figure out the marketplace in a month. Yeah, so I didn't mention this earlier, and I probably should have, but I think one of the most interesting stories here is the image rehabilitation of the big tech companies. Ah. And a lot of the pundit class is saying that the tech class is either paused or or dead. And I have no none of my own personal thoughts on that, but I do think that you've seen this this pretty sharp makeover because they're they're operating these essential services. And the more that your services are just pure software, the better, because, you know, a lot of the grocery delivery apps or even, or even Amazon that are running these essential services, just because they're connected to the real life risks out there of, of human contact and working in a warehouse and everything, that's been an issue for a number of reasons. Yeah. I think it's an excellent point. We did touch on it. And Jason, I don't recall which pod it was, but we did touch on this point in one of the earlier virus pods we did. Here's an idea that I would offer is where, you know, the large digital platforms have run into trouble in the past, I think is to some extent a bit of a loss of their humanity reflected in their decision-making and the actions that they take in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But they have always had deep strength. They've always been at their best in connecting to humanity when they focus on the utility and value they provide. Mm-hmm. And I think this has been, you know, I think your point is extremely well taken is that what's kind of happened here is that they've gone back to basics a little bit, which is where their strongest sort of impact on humanity is. And that's in the base level of utility that they provide. Uh, I think it's a really, I think it's a really strong observation. I can also give you the other two or three headlines that I yeah, give it to me. foresee. I think that, I'm glad that I got the report out when I did because it it was a retrospective of a very tumultuous month that was yes. March. But I think that a lot of the the, the trends are going to level off and plateau. You know, the network network use isn't going to keep just spiking because, for the most part, you know, everyone everyone's home now and people have switched from their office to their home networks and whatnot. And so I think a lot of these patterns are are going to going to congeal a bit and and sort of level off. I think one of the big stories, and I was writing about this a few weeks ago, is this idea of privacy and how the goalposts are moving a bit, just like the tech clash, because we've seen that location data can be pretty helpful in yep. fighting coronavirus. And you know, some of the data that I used in that report was based on mobile location data. And I think even the day I released the report, Google released a ton of data based on location data. Facebook did yesterday. And a lot of this can be very helpful for researchers and epidemiologists. And and, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. All the people that are way smarter than me that are working on this. One of the things you included is something I had seen earlier, I guess it was last week maybe, which is, I hope I don't get the company wrong, but Unicast, I think is their name. Correct. You know, they sort of did a scorecard by state on who's doing the best job of adhering to the, you know, stay at home guidelines. And that's been interesting to watch over time within the state of New Jersey. You know, we did a fantastic job the first 10 days. We are moving a bit more in the past 10 days, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Again, I think some of that's driven by, by weather. When the weather is good, which it's been fairly good through this process for New Jersey, people are so pent up. I think that they're all like, all right, I got to get out. I got to, you know, walk yeah. with the kids. We're going to walk with the dog. So hopefully some of that movement is not necessarily a net negative uh, in, a, in a relaxation of their approach, but reflects a bit of the, you know, when you're on day 21, 
you got to get out of the house and do yeah yeah walk around i totally get that you know i'm fortunate to be in a place where i can go outside and exercise and yep. still adhere to all of the guidelines yep. of, of social distancing and keep my space and i've definitely appreciated that yeah i think and i've i've made this observation in every podcast that part of this has been extremely critical to me uh, personally for sure any of these shifts if you had to pick one or two that are most likely to stick with us what do you think those might be the biggest shifts that I'm really interested in, I only get at peripherally in mm. the report, but I think that this crisis and this pandemic are making us reconsider a, a lot of ways that we run society, run a company, you know, operate in specific industries. And I think that there are a lot of shifts that will not be undone when this is all over. Mm. Taking back the, out my virtual crystal ball, probably. I think that the streaming will probably take a lot more market share, and I, I don't think I don't think that that will be reversed. I think that a lot of people will probably buy a car digitally or or even a home. Probably not that many because we're you know going into a recession. But those that can and those that have have the intention and means of doing so. They're not going to go to a dealership or go through a, a realtor in person at any point in the next few months, probably. So there'll be more of that. And then I, I think, you know, as the trusty emerging tech writer and, and market researcher that I am, I think that there is going to be, uh, at least in the U.S., less red tape for things like telehealth. Yes. Things like AI for diagnostics, for drug discovery, for specific sensitive but important healthcare areas. And then one that I'm just personally interested in and what is what the status of, I've written about this, all of these autonomous vehicle and drone network companies that have received a whole lot of funding and some can genuinely, you know, probably step in and, and help. I'm curious to see what happens to them over the next few months. I think that's a great shout. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is, and this is not an original point, but boy, I feel it every day. Is the way we work, the way we work is forever changed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's such an obvious one that I didn't even think about it, but that's so true. <laughs> well, I'm here it's, for the obvious, Ryan. We, no, we, no, no, you bring no. the less obvious. I'll cover all the obvious bases. I think there are a lot of obvious ones that I, that I didn't hit on, but yeah, that, that's interesting. And I personally like working remote. I have more experience doing it than probably a lot of people that have been yep. thrust into this, this situation, but it will be interesting to see how many companies, when this is over, opt to stay in the sort of more decentralized, distributed yeah. workforce and, and not, you know, spend all that money having a, a physical office in an expensive city. I, I'm really interested to see how all that shakes out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And again, there are markets where that has been, you know, much more difficult for folks to do just from, you know, pre-existing sort of biases against. And I think, you know, a lot of those have been traditionally in Asia. That's going to change a lot. I think this is yeah. really going to change that. Last question, and I thank you again so much. Of course. The last question I've been asking folks who've been appearing on this on this pod, because we've suspended the lightning round for now. But the last question is this. When this is over, or at least to the next less 
acute situation, what's the thing that you're looking forward to the most? I think that we took so many parts of daily life for granted. And I am definitely looking forward to being able to see my friends Mm. in person and not over Zoom. It has been a miracle that we have all of these communication services and that they've all, you know, withstood so many more people logging on at the same time. But for me, it's not, it's still not a, uh, it's still not a fill in for being together IRL, so to speak. And then I also just, when I've gone grocery shopping for my family, just going up and seeing the restaurants that are around you that I used to go to as a kid, I do miss actually just like going out to eat, you know, going to a bar, all of that. They're the obvious answers, but I'm sure everyone is thinking, thinking this yeah, right now. I can't wait. Yeah. Ryan, as always, thank you so much for joining. Congratulations on the report. And where can people find it? The easiest way and the way that we want you to find it is to go to morningbrew.com slash stories. Honestly, the easiest way would probably be just to, to Google the COVID traffic report. COVID traffic report. Perfect. And we'll also make sure that when we drop the pod that we will uh, we'll retweet that link out for everybody. That would be great. I Perfect. Ryan, thanks again. Please stay safe. Enjoy uh, being there in the great state of Texas. And, uh, and we'll talk to you real soon. 